we go. So I want to begin today with a question. Why do we as people think that we have to or even can force or manipulate God into doing what he has already promised to do for us? Why is it so difficult to trust God at his word, to have hope that God will carry out his plans for our lives? Why is that so difficult? Now, I'm sure some of you are thinking, Christy, I don't think that. I know that the God of the universe, the God who did so many miracles in the Bible, the God who sent Jesus as my savior, he can't be forced or manipulated into anything. I know the almighty, powerful, and good God has my best interests at heart. But I would argue that's not true for most of us. We may believe that, we may say that, but I think sometimes our actions prove something a little bit different, and I know that that's certainly true for me. And this is also true for who we are looking at today in the story of Jacob. And in order to understand what Pastor Paul just read, we need to go back a little bit further in his story. So Jacob is an interesting character, and he's a really important piece in the continuation of the story that Pastor Paul started last week with Abraham and the promises that were given to Abraham. Jacob is a man who journeys from master schemer to a man of monumental faith. Jacob is a man who makes things happen in his life by sheer will and cunning. And he moves from this to one whose hope is in God alone. At first read of this story, I actually don't really like Jacob. I think he's really kind of a first-class jerk. He does some really terrible things, some mean things at the beginning of his life. But through the story of Jacob, we learn our big idea today, that even when it is difficult to believe, we can have hope that God will carry out his plan to fulfill his promises in our lives. So let's start at the beginning. Earlier in the book of Genesis, we find out some really important things about Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac is the son of Abraham, who we learned about last week. We learned last week that Abraham was promised great, amazing things, that he was promised many descendants that would be made into a nation, and this nation was going to bless all of the nations. This was a big promise that Abraham said yes to. Rebecca, Isaac's wife, learns from God somewhere along in her first and only pregnancy that there were twins in her womb and that the younger of the twins was going to serve the older of the twins. Now, this may not seem out of sorts at all for you, but this was very uh, not customary in this time and culture. At this time, the oldest son was the one who would inherit the birthright, meaning a double portion of the inheritance, the family title, position, all of it was his, along with the father's blessing. But here God is telling Rebecca that just the opposite is going to be true. The name Jacob literally means grabs the heel, but figuratively, this, his name means deceiver. <laughs> and that's a name that we're going to find that Jacob lives up to. Now, we don't know if Jacob knew what God had told Rebekah before he was born, but either way, Jacob sees an opportunity and he takes it. The first thing he does is he trades his famished brother Esau 
his birthright. So remember the position, the title, the double portion of inheritance, all of it, the, the family rights. He trades all of those things on oath for a bowl of stew. That's how hungry Esau is. So I have to think a couple things about this. First of all, that was really foolish of Esau to do, and I don't know why someone would think so little of their position and title. But second, when I think about doing this to a sibling, it's a pretty mean, manipulative, awful thing to do to your only sibling. Later, Jacob deceives and connives a second time, and this time, it's at the prompting of his mother. So Isaac is in his old age, and he's ready to pass on his blessing to his oldest son. But rather than allow that to happen, Rebekah and Jacob scheme together, and Jacob takes the place of his brother Esau and deceives his father and steals his blessing. And it was only moments later that Esau returns, finds out about this, and realizes all hope is kind of lost for him. This is something that cannot be reversed. This makes his brother so angry that he now wants him dead. Jacob's conniving and scheming, they had consequences. Unintended consequences, but con consequences nonetheless. After stealing his birthright and blessing, Jacob is forced to flee. He flees to his uncle and he leaves behind his family and he leaves behind the land that was promised to his family. And in the end, Jacob doesn't ever see his mother again. The same thing can be said for us in our lives. We too can create difficult consequences when we try to manipulate our lives in a way that God does not intend. So at this point, it looks like Jacob's plan has backfired. He's had to flee and all his deceptions and schemes look like they're not amounting to anything. I'm sure Jacob must have wondered if he was ever going to return. So this brings us to the first thing that Jacob learns in the School of Hope. The grass may have looked greener on the other side, but there are unintended consequences for trying to force God's plan. God desires our obedience and that we place our trust and our hope in him. Genesis then tells us that Jacob fled to his uncle Laban over 400 miles away. Can you imagine making that journey on foot? Over 400 miles away, he flees to his uncle Laban in a, a section of Mesopotamia. And on the way, Genesis 28, 13 through 15 says this, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you, and I will watch you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised." Despite his deceptions, despite his character flaws, God surprisingly builds on the promise that he gave to Rebecca. And rather than say, well, clearly, this isn't the guy I thought he was. Clearly, I need to find someone else. God tells Jacob himself, 
that he will be the continuation of the promise given to his forefathers. And as Pastor Paul mentioned last week, God calls surprising people, and Jacob is one of them. So here Jacob begins to learn the second lesson in the School of Hope. We can have hope that God will always be faithful to his word and promises because he has shown us that he has been faithful in the past. This may not look like what we want it to look like or what we think it should look like or on our timeline, but we can have hope that God will always do what he says he is going to do. And the Bible is full of people in situations where things have looked utterly bleak and God came through. Jacob's story is one of hundreds of those. But for Jacob, not only was God saving him right then and there and he's hearing the voice of God maybe for the first time, but he's able to go back and hear the story of his grandfather Abraham and hear the story of his father, his father Isaac and see where God has been faithful. He's able to look back and see in the past that God is faithful. So we can continue on in the journey of Jacob. Next, he joins the household of his uncle Laban and he falls in love with the beautiful youngest daughter, Rachel. Jacob strikes a deal with Laban. He's gonna work seven years to marry this girl. Seven years. So he puts in his time, the time has come. He's ready for his wife. He says to his uncle, I want my wife. They have their, their wedding day, they have their wedding night and he wakes up the next morning and the deceiver has been deceived. It's not Rachel that he wakes up to, but her older sister, Leah. And of course he's outraged. I think we all would be a little outraged at that point. In demands of his uncle, I want my wife. But in order to get Rachel, he's forced to work another seven years. Men, can you imagine working 14 years for your wife? Picture that. How about this? Can you imagine hearing the voice of God, listening to him tell you that you have this promise, it is within your grasp, I am going to bless you, I am going to give you descendants, I am going to give you land. And 14 years later, you are still 400 miles from that land you are still 400 miles from that promise. How would we do with that? I don't know. I get impatient if I have to wait more than 20 minutes at a restaurant for my meal. <laughs> I get impatient when my internet is slow. I get impatient when I have to wait too long in line at Target. How would we do waiting 14 years? But it was more than that. The 14 years is up, he's worked off his debts, but he has nothing. He has his wives and no way to support them. So he strikes up a deal with Laban. He strikes up this deal to continue working for him, but to earn some wages. Laban thinks it's a pretty good deal. He gets to keep him around, continue using and abusing him, and, and maybe he'll never leave. He'll just be part of the household. But once again, Jacob is reminded that God is faithful to his promises. 
Jacob continues to work for Laban and they set up the terms of their agreement. Laban breaks these terms over and over again. The terms are changed 10 times and in spite of that, he grew more wealthy than his uncle because God was faithful. So finally, Jacob hears the voice of God and it's time to return home. So on his journey home, Jacob has another encounter with God. During the night, all alone, Jacob wrestles with this man all night. At daybreak, neither has come out as the winner, neither will give, and so the man touches Jacob's hip, and immediately it goes out. We find out that this man is not a man, but either God or representative of God himself. And just like Abraham, Jacob is blessed and he's given a new name. No longer will Jacob be known as the deceiver, but he will be known as Israel, the one who struggles with God. Jacob's persistence in seeking God's blessing would be remembered for what is now thousands of years. Here we are talking about this. Thousands of years later, his persistence is remembered. And Jacob has taken not just a physical journey, but a spiritual one from schemer to deep abiding faith, from place of little trust to one that knows that God fulfills his promises. God is faithful. But Jacob's story is not yet finished. So despite Jacob's fears, we find out that God has finally changed the heart of his brother Esau. Remember the one who wanted to kill him? Instead of coming to take his life, his brother meets him. He runs to him and he hugs him. God is faithful. So much time away from his family and the land that God had promised, so much hard work and mistreatment from Laban, such long journeys away from and then back again to his home, Jacob discovers that God used it all to put the pieces of his life together to keep his promise in the words that he spoke to his mother, Rebecca. But I'm sure that a lot of this time didn't make sense in light of what God had promised. Have you ever experienced a time in your life like that before where it just didn't make sense? Where you heard, you were convinced, you heard God speak to you about something, this thing, or maybe it's not even something you heard God speak to you about. Maybe it's just something really, really good in your life that you've wanted for yourself or one of your loved ones. And you are going to make it happen. You wait and you wait and you want this to happen. And this thing, this thing, it doesn't happen the way that you expected. And it leaves you wondering. So I can relate to Jacob in that. I've experienced that. And I would guess that most of you in this room have. Many of you heard me talk a little bit about my story on Christmas Eve, about how various points in my life, I really heard the voice of God moving. I felt his presence. One of those moments that I knew God was with me was right before I went to college, and I knew, I knew that he was calling me to ministry. I was terrified, but I knew. Another one of those moments was in college when I knew that God was calling me to ministry in New England, that this is the place that I'm meant to be, and that I was gonna be a part of ministries that were gonna do life-transforming work in this area. 
I knew that that was God's intention for my life and I heard it loud and clear. This was exciting and God's presence in my life only bolstered the hope that I already had. But things did not go how I thought they would. They did not go how I planned. My first ministry job was cut short in 2005 because my father very suddenly and very tragically died. We felt like we needed to be closer to family. And Rich and I for a long time really struggled with what we were called to and where we were called to and, and really reeled from this. It just didn't seem like anything was working out and I didn't understand. I was confused, I was hurt, and I was bitter. Hadn't God called me to this? So years later, now at the start of 2010, Rich and I took a chance on a church plant that had just started services in the Berkshires. That very first service, I felt God's presence. I sensed that this church plant was gonna be our new home. I felt energized and excited again. And while we were cautious about getting involved at first, still a little tripped up about feeling bitter and being in this spiritual desert for so long, it wasn't long before I began coordinating the whole campus. I became the right hand of that pastor. I threw myself into everything from volunteers to youth, a little stint in children's ministry, uh, the church database. I did everything. Soon I found myself traveling as a volunteer an hour and a half to the main location of this church several times a week to plan and strategize and meet with leadership. I pushed and I pushed. I volunteered 40 hours a week and I knew if I kept going, if I kept pushing, if I kept working hard enough, that my title would soon go from volunteer staff to just staff. I knew this is what God had for me. I knew this is where I was supposed to be. I knew this was the church that was gonna grow and grow and grow. This little campus, when we first started, grew very quickly to 350 people. I thought for sure this was it. But my plans weren't God's plans. And I had been too busy making this happen to see or hear anything differently. In the end, at least not the way that I thought it was supposed to be, after five years and ups and downs on the campus, our campus pastor announced that he was leaving to start a church in his hometown, and we lost a bunch of people. And then a month after that, we were told by the city that we could no longer meet in the public schools where we had been moving, our meeting. And so we had to move locations within a month. We moved into a movie theater, and we lost a bunch of people. And we kept chugging along, we kept going, we gave it our all because this is what God had for me. But it wasn't. About a year and a half after we moved to the movie theater, the church closed its doors, and that was it. Devastated is an understatement in describing how I felt. Six years I had put in. Six years I had worked harder than I ever worked in my whole life. Six years I gave myself completely to this church for no pay. And now, just like that, is closed, it's done. But more than that, wasn't this what God had for me? How many of you have had that experience? I know you have. 
felt utter heartache and loss for a long time. I didn't understand, and I really, I didn't know what God was doing. For me, it seemed that God's plan had failed, that his promises were not true, that there was no plan for my life. First my dad, and now this, and I couldn't reconcile that I believe that this church and its growth was what God had for me with God's call on my life and the fact that the church had just shut its doors. I couldn't get past it. But over time, I reached back into my past to those other times when God had come through. I chose to have hope. I chose to have hope that God was not done with me yet. I chose to be patient, and I waited. Rich and I continued on with the small little group that was left. We met in our home for another year and a half while I waited, and Rich waited. A year and a half after that, I heard about this ministry opportunity on the south shore of Boston, here at North River. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't sure I was going to apply for this position. I had sort of settled into the new routine of the group meeting in our house, and, and honestly, I was afraid. I was afraid to put myself back out there again, because what if I misread? But God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, poked and prodded me, and I knew at the core of my being that he was not done with me yet. I believed our big idea for today, that even when I couldn't see it, I had hope that God would carry out his plan to fulfill his promises in my life. In this situation, I learned the third thing that Jacob also learned in the School of Hope, that hope is often a choice that we can make even when we can't see the whole picture. We can choose to remain doubtful or we can choose to hope in his promises. We can choose to hope that God will do what he says and that he will be faithful or we can choose not to. We can choose to hope that he is working out our lives for good, even in the darkest of times, which we all have. Hope in God is often a choice. And when hope is chosen, it will move us forward, as Pastor Paul taught us last week. So let's get back to Jacob here for a second. Early in his life, Jacob didn't have that kind of hope in God. He tried to force the work of God in his life to make come true what God had promised him. But later we see a life transformed as he chooses to trust in God's promises. And we see this clearest at the end of his life. Some years before, Jacob has children now, he settled in the land. Jacob's other sons sell the oldest son of his dearly loved favorite wife, Rachel. They sell him into slavery and they tell Jacob that his favorite son is dead, eaten by wild animals. But many years later, we find out that God uses even this situation, this tragic situation of heartbreak and loss for the good of the whole family. When a famine of many years strikes in the land where Jacob and all his family are living and all looks bleak and lost, it is Joseph and his position in Egypt that saves them all. And even though Jacob is forced to move from the land that God promised in order to save his family and have food, he is committed and his faith will not be shaken. As Pastor Paul read at the beginning, with his dying words, Jacob instructs his children to bury him with his forefathers in the land that God promised them. 
in the end, Jacob faced death, like we all will. But in that moment, he demonstrated this, that even when he could not see it unfold for himself, he had hope that God would carry out his plan and fulfill his promise in his life. Jacob was to be buried in the knowledge that his schemes in the end weren't what brought about God's blessing. There's no scheming out of death. Jacob was to be buried in the hope that God's faithfulness would always prevail and that of all the things God had promised would come to pass. God would return Jacob's people to the land promised to them. So how do we face our new year with hope? Well, first, we understand that God wants us to have hope in him. God delights in the faith of his children. Your hope is not Facebook. Your hope is not the government. It's not your friends. It's not your spouse. It's not your own strength. It's not me. It's not even Pastor Paul. Your hope is God alone, because these other things are going to disappoint. When I finally stopped trying to make it all happen myself and let go of the hope in my own plan is when God had room to move in my life and fulfill his promises. Second, we can have hope knowing that God will always be faithful to his word and promises because he has shown us that he's been faithful in the past. Okay, some of us in this room are lucky enough to have a track record with God established already. Can you think of a time when God has seen you through? Can you think of a time when God has been faithful and worked good out of a situation that seemed awful? Like Jacob built pillars to mark the places where he heard God's voice Put those pillars in your mind. Go back to those times. Go back to those places and remember. But maybe some of you are new to this God thing. And you can't identify with a time that God has worked in your life yet. I'm going to encourage you to look at the stories of others. Friends, family, the Bible. These stories in the Bible, they're chock full of them. Go back and look to those. And lastly, we can choose to have hope even when we can't see the whole story. Every one of us can relate to heartbreak in our lives. Every one of us can relate to having times in our life that weren't working out. None of us can see the future. Just as Jacob couldn't, as he faced the end of his life, as he faced death, and as I couldn't when I dealt with heartbreak. But you can choose hope even when you can't see the whole story. But that's the essence of hope, isn't it? We don't hope for things that we're sure of or a done deal. No. We choose hope when the future is unclear and we don't have all the answers. Let's choose this year to remember the times that God has been faithful and allow that to move us forward. Allow that to help us to say yes to God's poking and prodding. Let's choose to have hope this year. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that you give us reason to hope, that you give us your love and your grace in the times when we try to manipulate life 
God, I pray that you'd be, be with each one of us. Teach us and prompt us to have hope in you. Lord, we thank you for your word and your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Can we thank Christy?